0: Started as any other day. <laughs> Macabre, the of every day. i keep I was raised. i don't mean to I am not expecting your um, i like it your feet be right there. Oh. Well, one thing, one, so <laughs> what do you think about <laughs> listening? Well, I guess you're probably more used to listening to your voice yep. than I am. Although, not necessarily talking voice, I don't know. But for me, it's kind of um, weird at first, a little bit. You'll get used to it. I feel like um, mm. I didn't think I sounded Southern, but then I listened to my voice, and I think maybe it does kind of a little bit.
1: A little bit, Not, not really. I, Not I think as, I'm as bad as, more in my
0: own mind, I don't think it does. I'm more Southern. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I think we sound very similar, more so than I expected right. on a recording. Right, two guys, one voice. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah, we
1: talked about this. <laughs> two guys. We got to say it at the same time. One, one voice. voice. There we go. Welcome to the show, everybody. Uh, Well, I know how you're feeling over there. You got I'm feeling new, pretty good. Yeah, I already knew it. I could tell. I could see it on your face. Right,
0: yeah, yeah. You can see that glow?
1: I can see the glow. Whoa! And you know how I'm feeling today? That's here, baby. <laughs> Blazed, and I'm feeling blessed. So, uh, so today, what's up with you? Well, I'm just ready to get this podcast started. Unless you want to, what you oh, guys I just wanna wanna get to get
0: something off shoot. the chest? Uh, uh, we don't shoot shit. I just want to okay. see how you doing, man.
1: I heard you did another um, submarine model.
0: I did. Yeah, I showed it to you. I know. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't hear about everybody. You saw it. I saw it. You I was your just senses mixed
1: up, dude. You yeah, always doing that. I know I'm always. <laughs> I'm always switching stuff up with senses. Oh, well. Anyways, I guess now are we done? Is I guess our? so. Yeah, okay. that's all I had to so. say. <clears throat> and I'm the one who asked the question. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck was that about? Anywho. Today, we're talking about possibly the shortest flight in commercial airline history.
0: Mm-hmm. I feel like they could have just drove.
1: <laughs> yeah, and two pilots who were young, dumb, and full of Potomac River. Come on, y'all. This is Air Florida Flight 90.
0: On a frigid January day in 1982, Air Florida Flight 90 took off from Washington National Airport in Washington, D.C., headed for Tampa, Florida. However, only moments after takeoff. The plane stalled and crashed into the 14th Street Bridge, only blocks from the National Mall, before plunging into the ice choked Potomac River. Seventy four people on the plane and another five on the ground were killed. January 13, 1982, was an historically cold day in Washington. Blizzard conditions had hit the city, which, as we will see, both created and magnified the disaster. Air Florida Flight 90 was due to depart at 215 for Tampa, then Fort Lauderdale. The pilot, Captain Larry Wheaton, was 34 years old and had 8,300 flight hours. The co-pilot, First Officer Roger Pettit, was 31 years old and had 3,353 total flight hours, as well as being a former fighter pilot in the Air Force. In all, there were 79 people on board, including 74 passengers and five crew members. The plane was a Boeing 737. At 1.40 p.m., the heavy snowfall led Washington National Airport, now Ronald Reagan National Airport, to temporarily cease operations so that the instrument runway could be plowed. This ensured that Flight 90 would be late for departure. Despite this, Air Florida did not delay boarding the passengers. During the delay, the ground crew de-iced the plane, spraying a mixture of heated water and monopropylene glycol. De-icing was completed by 3.10 p.m., and at 3.23, Flight 90 was cleared to push from the gate. So far, so good? Maybe?
1: I th- I'm thinking so. I do know this. Do you know how much a— uh, seven thirty-seven weighs. It's probably pretty heavy. It's forty-six tons. Hmm. So the the fact that I can get off the ground and fly through the sky is inc- it's incredible. It may, yeah, it is incredible. Yeah, and one little thing can go wrong, and man. Yeah. And in this case, nothing was wrong with the engines whatsoever.
0: But you know, no, no. Uh, unfortunately, there was um problem with the instrument readings, which we'll get to yeah. uh, in a moment. And <laughs> a problem with uh some of the problem with the uh, <laughs> instrument readings in uh, our captain's head as well. <laughs> Deicing was completed by 3:10 p.m. and at 3:23, flight 90 was cleared to push from the gate. Unfortunately, the deep snow prevented the towing equipment from moving the aircraft, which led Captain Wheaton in one of his numerous mistakes that day to use the plane's reverse thrust to back out of the gate, a blatant violation of company policy given the c- weather conditions. Moreover, this maneuver did not succeed in backing up the plane but did suck large amounts of ice and snow into the engines. Later, chains were attached to the towing equipment, and the plane was su- successfully pushed back. Fuck that fucking word. <laughs> <laughs>
1: you were successful in saying it?
0: <laughs> the aircraft then taxied into position behind a DC-9 airplane, part of a larger queue of planes waiting to take off. Captain Wheaton, apparently undeterred by his earlier dumbassery, <laughs> decided to use the hot exhaust from the DC-9 to melt the snow of the wings, which had accumulated since it was last deiced. iced. However, the effect was that the ice was pushed to the back portion of the wings where it refroze. The plane's anti-ice equipment is not effective for ice accumulated on the back of the wing. However, this is not relevant as the plane's anti-ice equipment had never been turned on in the first place. Indeed, during the takeoff checklist, 1st Officer Pettit asked about the the engine anti-ice to which Captain Wheaton, having a banner day by this point, responded off. Moreover, 1st Officer Pettit, who was the pilot flying that day, could tell that the engines lacked thrust despite the equipment readings showing normal. In fact, the instrument panel was reading incorrectly as the accumulation of ice in the plane's engines, which had not been removed because the anti-ice system was never turned on, had affected the sensors which provide the readings. Hey, can
1: we um, can we play the um, captain and the officer real quick? Yes. On this one? Yep. All right, perfect, I love this. Um, okay, hold on, let me get into my scene. I guess I will play the um the first officer you're gonna play the pilot. Uh yes. Okay. I need to see the uh Oh yeah. All right, here we go. Pilot heat on. Perfect, dude. I've made that up. Damn, I'm ad-libbing. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Shit. Engine okay, let's you know let's start <laughs> I'm sorry, sorry. It's complicated. Pilot heat on. Engine anti ice <laughs> off. And scene. That was perfect. Why so the stupid.
0: engines anti ice uh was off and the pilot knew about this um, is anyone's guess. And also the um, first captain knew about it. So, And did, wait, why the first captain didn't say anything at this point is yeah. also anybody's guess. At 3.59 p.m., air traffic control cleared Flight 90 for takeoff. Again, First Officer Pettit noted the engines were, quote, real cold. Indeed, despite the readings on the panel, the engines were operating at only about 70% power. Takeoff proved very rough as it did not seem the plane would make it off the ground. Joe Stiley, who flew for work once or twice a week and was a former pilot himself, knew that the plane was not going fast enough and was the first to get into crash position, telling his co-worker next to him to do likewise. Other passengers saw this and followed suit. Joe, one of the five survivors, would later recount, I remember vividly saying, how the hell do I get out of this airplane now? And knowing that it was too late, I was already kissing my rear end goodbye. As the plane managed to get airborne, its nose suddenly pitched upward sharply. At the same time, it began to shake violently. The high position of the nose created drag, which threatened to slow the plane down to a point where it would literally just drop out of the sky. Captain Dipshit ordered the first officer to bring the nose down, but only 30 seconds after the flight, having reached an altitude of just 352 feet, Flight 90 stalled and began to drop. It was 4.01 p.m. when it crashed into the 14th Street Bridge, hitting six cars and a truck before plunging into the Potomac River about 200 feet from shore. With all but the tail section being quickly submerged.
1: Yeah, that's crazy. Uh it broke into um four different pieces, I think. The fuselage. Yes, the there. fuselage. Um, and before that, um, the first captain was noticing both of them actually were noticing like snow and ice on the wings, mm-hmm. which is you're immediately supposed to call for a tow back to the gate to get it de iced, Because right? you right. can't fly with, can't fly ice, with ice on, your on wings. the wings.
0: The um the wing is shaped in a particular way to allow uh, the creation of lift for the airplane so it's Imagine important that. the air the aerodynamics over the wing are important and ice obviously you know on the it's, wing is going to affect that and it's going to it's it's going to affect the plane's ability um, you have people in the air
1: lives in your hand you're in a, a 46 ton aircraft and you're just like no nah, we're not we're not gonna taxi. I don't want to delay the flight any longer. Like, f- go fuck yourself, well,
0: dude. Here's what I was wondering: like, was he must have been like really wanting to get back to Florida? And well, I guess because it was th- like really freezing cold that day in DC. That right. makes sense. But they had only flown uh, eleven times total, I believe.
1: Do you know about this? Eleven times no. total, I believe, in icy Who's or that? snowy weather. These two pilots, okay. because they're from Florida,
0: did, had they usually f- flown together?
1: They Flew together a lot and they
0: actually traded legs
1: on this one, so the, right, the, which is oh, which is man. normal, um, right, that's normal procedure, procedure. with yeah. uh
0: pilots and co pilots. They um, so there's the pilot flying and the pilot not flying, uh, because they'll switch off flying the plane, yeah, they're warm and, weather. And people, Roger so. Pettit, the, the first officer, was actually doing the takeoff. I'm sorry, yeah. go ahead.
1: No, they they then they've only thrown between the two of them, they only had flown a 737 three times, period, right.
0: so right.
1: they didn't. He didn't know, and he was young as shit, right? What, what was the average of the yeah. older
0: of the pilots was thirty four. So in two thousand nineteen, the average age of a uh, passenger airline pilot was um, forty four. Yeah, that's right. I say that's said two thousand nineteen, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the average age was forty four, which yeah, thirty four. Like that freaks me out. Like I'm, I'm thirty seven or thirty six, soon to be thirty seven. Yeah, I think like man, flying plane fly? <laughs> a few years ago. I don't know Could about I fly, that. I don't know about that right now. But yeah, that was the older of the two pilots, was the thirty-four-year-old. So yeah, I wouldn't be really enthused enthused about that. I just don't like, man. Just go to the hotel, bro. Just
1: call it. A, just call it a day. Mm-hmm. Call it. A, you have a baby. You have actually there was three children on board, and one was an infant.
0: Right. So just call it a day, like. Well, really, know. and you wonder why. The whole airport didn't just call it a day. Why were any? Right. I mean, but well, you know, obviously none of the other planes crashed.
1: None of the other planes crashed. I just want that to be known. Right. Zero of them. It,
0: it really, if the planes anti ice had been on, uh, this would not have been an issue because the, um, if nothing else, the data panel would have been reading correctly. And we'll get to that in a little okay. bit. All right. Joe Stiley suffered 67 fractures and had blacked out upon impact. Mm. When he regained consciousness, he was in darkness with freezing water almost to nose level and quickly rising. As he tried to get out, he found his seat had collapsed into the seat in front and his legs were now wedged. He was able to free himself and, seeing some lights towards the tail end of the plane, find the surface. It hurts to be that cold. It feels like knives in you, flight attendant Kelly Duncan said of the freezing water. Indeed, Kelly Duncan and the five surviving passengers in the water had only 30 minutes to get out of the water before they would almost certainly die of hypothermia. It was at this point that the severe weather compounded the tragedy in yet another way. The forecast of a blizzard that day led to many federal offices closing early, which in turn led to heavy traffic, which along with the icy roads hampered the efforts of first responders to reach the crash site. As a side note, this also led to the 14th Street Bridge being clogged with traffic at the time the plane hit.
1: Yeah, dude. They had to take the ambulances down the sidewalk of the White, of the White House. House.
0: That's that's what prompted me to actually look at a Google maps that's crazy. of the Fourteenth Street Bridge. It's right near It's two miles away. I mean it's right there where all the monuments and the Capitol and White House, all that stuff. It's right yeah, there.
1: And speaking of that, speaking of being stuck And it
0: connects uh, it connects that to um it's right it connects D C to Virginia. Oh yeah. The yeah. bridge does over the Potomac, and it's right next to Arlington National Cemetery as well. Go nice.
1: ahead. That's I like that. Mm-hmm the truck driver that was on the bridge that got hit by the airplane actually his name was Marion Grant Jr. he just walked away it flipped his truck over but he he recalled that he was they were stuck gridlocked for 15 minutes didn't go anywhere so
0: how shitty is that yeah, that you're in you're, you're right in there. rush hour traffic it's not moving he said it was it was not moving i i know that the, the right, yeah, it was he, not moving at not all moving. it's freezing cold and then a fucking plane lands on you yeah. On you, because he said that uh, he
1: walked out of his truck, saw a guy, one guy crushed, and looked over and saw another guy it was just head was gone decapitated. Yeah, so yeah, and imagine like they were letting out offices early, so you were some of those people were, might have been getting off of work earlier and probably like yeah, hell yeah, right. And then a plane crushed you because a fucking idiot pilot mm-hmm.
0: decided to just hey, and all
1: know, those people on that plane they were going hey, to Florida,
0: they were going to fucking Tampa, so you know they were bummed out. Ultimately, it took about 20 minutes for the first ambulance to reach the scene. Moreover, once the first ambulances did reach the site, paramedics had no way of getting the survivors out of the freezing, ice-choked river. The heavy traffic also resulted in news reporters and bystanders gathering quickly on the scene. Said one witness, All anyone could do was tell the survivors to hold on and get and to not give up hope. There were a few pieces of the plane on shore that were smoldering, and you could hear the screams of the survivors. More people arrived near the shore from the bridge, but nobody could do anything. The ice was broken up, and there was no way to walk out there. It was so eerie. An entire plane vanished except for the tail section, the survivors, and a few pieces of plane debris. The smell of jet fuel was ever, everywhere, and you could smell it on your clothes. The snow on the banks was easily two feet high, and your legs would fall deep into it every time you moved from the water. At 4.20 p.m., a rescue helicopter arrived and began the attempt to airlift the survivors, at times hovering so low that the skids were in the water. They first dropped a line to Burt Hamilton and pulled him to shore. By then, some fire and rescue personnel had arrived to join the military personnel and civilians who had pulled Hamilton from the water's edge up to waiting ambulances. The helicopter returned to the aircraft's tail, and this time Arlen D. Williams, Jr., sometimes referred to as the sixth passenger, caught the line. Williams, not able to unstrap himself from the wreckage, passed the line to flight attendant Kelly Duncan, who was towed to shore. On the third trip back to that wreckage, the helicopter lowered two lifelines, fearing that the remaining survivors had only a few minutes before succumbing to hypothermia. Williams, still strapped into the wreckage, passed one line to Joe Stiley, who was holding on to a panic-stricken and blinded from jet fuel Priscilla Torado, who had lost her husband and baby. Stiley's co-worker, Nikki Felch, took the second line. As the helicopter pulled the three through the water and blocks of ice toward shore, both Torado and Felch lost their grips and fell back into the water. Priscilla Torado was too weak to grab the line when the helicopter returned to her. A watching bystander, Lenny Skutnik, stripped off his coat and boots and in short sleeves dove into the icy water and swam out to successfully pull her to shore. The helicopter then proceeded to where Felch had fallen, and paramedic Jean Windsor stepped out on the helicopter skid and grabbed her by the clothing to lift her onto the skid with him, bringing her to shore. When the helicopter crew returned for Williams, the wreckage was, he was strapped into had rolled slightly, submerging him. According to the coroner, Williams was the only passenger to die by drowning. His body and those of the other occupants were later recovered.
1: Mm. So he was a hero.
0: Yes. <clears throat> and, in fact, that section of the 14th Street Bridge, which had formerly been called Rochambeau, uh, Ro- Ro- which I like that, rock, 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 rock scissors scissors. Bridge, yeah, scissors, um, is now called the Arlen D. Williams Jr. Memorial oh, Bridge. Oh, man.
1: Well, good for him. Yeah. So you, not only are you in a plane crash, but you crash into an icy river Mm -hmm. and you have 30 minutes or less to get saved and the plane or the, I'm sorry, the helicopter comes in 21 minutes. Right.
0: The paramedics couldn't get there before like 20 minutes. And when they get there, they can't do anything. Um, Right. I, I read they were tying belts together and stuff to try to have, try to get some line out to them. They couldn't, there was a coast guard boat, but it was too far down the river on another search kind of rescue operation. Um, they wouldn't yeah. be able to get back in time. Um, so it wasn't until the helicopter got there. That was, that was the quickest that anybody could get there because mm. um, obviously you're not going to be able to deploy a helicopter, but only so fast. So, I mean, it, it, that's why they're in a position where even just one more trip, they were worried might not that, that might run out of time because they were at a point where they, they had about, what, 10 minutes? Yeah. You have 30 minutes overall, and it took yeah. 20 minutes to get there. And my boy um,
1: Lenny just jumps into the water Yep, from the side, right? That's yeah, that's my awesome. My man. Job Lenny, My they should have called it the Lenny Bridge, My man. the Arlen and Lenny Bridge, baby.
0: Yep. I mean, and there was another, uh, a Roger Olean, who also uh, yeah, yeah. jumped in to help out. So I want to make sure all the all the heroes get uh, mentioned. Yeah,
1: heroes. Yeah. Good for you guys.
0: Absolutely. In fact, um, Roger and uh, Lenny both received uh, the uh, Coast Guard's like gold medal or, or uh, like they give. I didn't know they had this. They give a, a medal to civilians. Uh, if they save somebody or do something like okay. that, do some.
1: Well, they like definitely that. deserve that. They
0: definitely saved some lives that day. That's cool.
1: Yeah, so it was one of the worst um, blizzards that DC ever saw. Right. Right. So, did you know that three people actually died on a subway crash because of the weather? It's yeah. Like, well, I was gonna. Saturday. I was gonna mention that.
0: Um, yeah. So uh, that same day, uh, you had a um, a crash in the in the Washington Metro, uh, a fatal. Uh, train or sub subway crash uh that happened just thirty minutes after the flight ninety crash mm. um and well, then I thought it was earlier okay Remember. yeah, thirty minutes after, and so you have the your subways shut down um the airport later shut down because of the the weather, and then the, the plane crash into the bridge that bridge is a major artery in and out of oh. the city, so the metro d c area We're was almost completely city. locked down, yeah, yeah.
1: wow. And I just want to reiterate that no other plane crashed from that, leaving that airport. So it was completely Correct. the pilot error.
0: Well, speaking of.
1: Yeah. Are we going to dig into it?
0: We're going to conclude about oh, wh- yeah. how, what the NTSB Let's found. That. Ultimately, 74 of the 79 persons on board Flight 90, including Captain Larry Wheaton and First Officer Roger Pettit, perished. While the impact speed of the plane was low and within survivability limits, And indeed, it is believed that some 19 people survived the initial impact. The breakup of the fuselage and subsequent exposure to freezing water led to the deaths of all on board except those in the tail section. Five more people who had been sitting in rush hour traffic on the bridge, as we mentioned, crushed to death. Wow. The National Transportation Safety Board would ultimately determine that while the delay between the last de-icing and takeoff was a contributory factor to the crash and one in which was the fault of the air traffic controller, It was three key mistakes committed by the captain and first officer, which doomed Flight 90. Number one, failure to use de-icing during ground operation and takeoff. Number two, their decision to take off with snow and ice on the wings. And number three, Captain Larry Wheaton's failure to reject the takeoff during the early stage when his attention was brought to anomalous instrument readings. Yeah,
1: so they took them seven days to find the black boxes. There's two of them. They They, you know undid him or whatever he did to him. listened to the tapes, and they were completely shocked by what they heard, with the conversation in the cockpit. First of all, they heard the anti-ice off.
0: Right, they heard that, which there was some um, dispute over whether he was actually saying off. I think it really came down to it. They just, it was inexplicable that he would say off and that that would go on – unnoticed or unremarked upon by the first officer so there were some people that felt like no he's not saying off right there uh but they, so they actually had to send the tape to the fbi their forensic recording lab division whatever who were able to slow it down and they actually determined he is indeed saying off how many times have we mentioned how icy and freezing cold and just ridiculously cold and blizzardy and icy and cold and icy it was hey, that day and it, Gen- it, hey it was josh, the worst josh,
1: day josh
0: Engine anti-ice? Off. Okay, good. Always Perfect. off. Let's, let's fly Listen to Florida, me. baby. I'm from hey, Florida. My, anti- no. I, my, my <laughs> engine anti-ice is Tampa, Florida, baby. I'm from
1: Florida, bitch. We're flying back to Florida. It's off. Let's go.
0: It'll melt on the way, motherfucker.
1: Alright, so you're going to read the part of the pilot again, and I'm which is on here called Cam 1 for whatever reason. I guess that's what they call the yeah, so I don't. I was not rocks. able to figure out what that means. And then I'm got the cam two part. So go ahead whenever you're ready.
0: Okay, your throttles. Oh shit, I got like several lines in a row. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. okay, your throttles. Holler if you need the wipers. It's spooled. Really cold here. Re- what the fuck is going on here? Am I saying all this shit <laughs> yeah. over and over? Yeah, yeah. That's you. Yes, yeah,
1: that's how it is. The guy was just wouldn't shut the fuck up either. So yeah. apparently he's an asshole. <laughs> like, like annoying as well. Go ahead.
0: Okay, your throttles. Holler if you need the wipers. It's spooled. Really cold here. Real cold.
1: God, look at that thing. That don't seem right, does it? Oh, that's not right. Yes, it is. There's 80. No, I don't think that's right. Oh, maybe it is.
0: 120. I don't know. Easy. Ford, Ford, easy. We only want 500. Come on, Ford. Ford, just barely climb. Stalin, we're falling. <laughs> <laughs> Larry, we're going down. Larry. I know. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so I want to just point out how Larry at the end was Stalin, we're falling. That man's got bars. Going into Potomac (laughs) bars. If
0: I'm going out, I'm going out spitting rhymes. Stalin, we're falling. I know.
1: I mean, that is sad. Those are literally their last words. And then, um, so we're going to play that clip real quick. And, uh, yeah, we're going to let you hear it for yourself. The audio is kind of rough, but here we go. Yeah, so there's a guy named William McManus. He was working for the Metro Police um, in those days, and he went to the wreckage site. And he recalls that to get the rest of the plane um, out of the river, they had to use a crane. Mm -hmm. And so they were pulling full rows out of the river Mm -hmm. with completely intact, and in his words, Like, fine, they looked fine and normal because they right. were just frozen to death. Right. You now, some of them were obliterated, obviously, on the impact, but the ones they pulled out that were still intact in their seats, buckled in, were completely frozen in place, not, not scared looking, nothing like that. So,
0: they must have been knocked out by the impact and just, you know, never woke up. There was no blood, he said. It's pretty
1: crazy. Oh, he, he also said that the very first row they pulled up, he saw, he was watching. He saw a man that he had played racquetball with the day before. Wow. So that's pretty crazy. So That is crazy. Yeah, and now he that guy's like the a big deal in Texas. So he's like a big time cop in Texas now. But mm. Yeah. Imagine that. I'm seeing your your homie you just played racquetball with and, and he's frozen in a, yeah, in a plane that's, seat, man. That's, that's so uh, weird. That's pretty intense. That could happen to you. I'm talking to
0: you. you <laughs> you talking to me personally, or are you talking to the audience? The audience, it could happen yeah, to any it, of you, it could happen to anybody.
1: Yeah, we talked about how the um both pilots saw ice and decided not to go back just because he didn't want to get back in the back of the line. Yeah, but oh, oh, I, I know something. Um, so the ground crew who sprayed who de-iced the planes the first time. Right. They thought it was two degrees warmer than it actually was, and apparently that really matters in right. the mixture. There was a
0: whole, yeah. So yeah. they
1: investigated the, the sprayer, and right. they also found that there was a, a, a part that was um, replaced. Some kind of some kind of
0: gauge where they can yeah. look at the uh, mixture of the heated water and the, the monopropylene glycol because yeah. it obviously needs to be a certain mixture, and, depen- and that depends on— how cold it, cold it is it and how much, and much ice, ice is it is. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and so, so it, was it, it was not nearly as strong as they thought it was.
1: Correct. And so they didn't really um, de-ice it all the way. However, that would have never mattered if they didn't use the reverse thrusters and also if they would have put the
0: right. de-icer on. So, so so just to clarify kind of the again. series of events that, that led to the, all this, and it all really comes down to them not having the uh, engine anti-ice on, which – as we covered they knew it was not on or at least the pilot so maybe the maybe the first officer misheard maybe he didn't realize that he said off but the, if the first if the captain said off then at least the captain knew right that it was off and so that's should be sufficient but so when the they boys. when he was when he attempted to use the reverse thrusters to back the plane out um, they sucked in a bunch of ice chunks into the engine, but they only had it on for a short amount of time. So this ice got sucked into the engines and then just was left there to refreeze as the plane. Well, they were making uh, flushies. Right. While, so while the plane. Uh, fucking like a seven ways. Because there's also a pretty significant delay between when the um, between when the plane was backed out and when it was able to actually take off almost an hour.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was like an hour and a half, I think, actually. But so
0: then that wouldn't have been a problem. All this ice that had gotten sucked in the engine would not be a problem if the engine anti-ice, which is this, you know, heating system within the engine right. or some kind of procedure where the, where the engine kind of runs or, or whatever that prevents ice, it will melt the ice inside it won't, so you won't have chunks of ice He never inside. touched it. when they took It, it, was, in, ne- it was never right. turned on at any point. Right. They took day. apart
1: the engine, saw the engine, there's nothing wrong with the engine.
0: And that in turn, that ice in the engine in turn, in fact, there's sensors inside the engine, which which are connected to the control panel inside the cockpit. So that's those sensors are provide the data for the control gauges in the cockpit, that ice caused the sensors to, to misread. And so the panel gauge indicated that the engines were providing more thrust than they actually were. Uh, Roger Pettit, who was the pilot flying, could feel that the engines were not providing enough thrust, but, and he kept bringing that to the attention of uh, Captain Wheaton but Captain Wheaton kept referring to the gauge, which indicated that the thrust was normal and overrode his his concerns on that basis. Right. So I found out about
1: yeah. the a the pi- little bit of why this guy might have made this decision. He was just a fucking complete moron from the word go. So two years prior, 1980, he was suspended um, after failing adherence to regulations, a checklist usage, flight procedures, literally everything that he refused to do this time, too, failed they retested him he passed and then he got in trouble again for the same shit later on the same year and then two years later this happened so the guy's just not he was never checklisting what anything he had he had to and the moment it was not a warm weather situation he just proceeded on and then took lives with him so
0: what what do you think it was do you think the guy was arrogant or or what's the deal i think he was Probably or just, just lazy. young yeah. or just like I mean thirty-four, I I don't know. It's not young necessarily, but for a pilot know, it seems 30. kinda young. I just think maybe he's Or just like mature or, or what? I, I don't know.
1: Lazy and did not like I said, what? they 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 flew they flew seven thirty sevens three times mm-hmm. between the two of them. Right.
0: Total. Well here's what I think. You know, some people are detail people. Do things exactly as the rules stay. and some people are more wing it kind of people. No <laughs> pun intended. Uh, I but see. Some people, I like that. You know how you know what I mean. Some people are more like, "Fuck it, we'll we'll we're fine. We'll figure it out." Or, yeah. or like they think this shit is more for, you know, to check stuff off a list. That it's not for actual. Sure. Yeah. There's not there's not really important. That it's just this bullshit that corporate said we have to do. But whatever. I mean, does he not? Maybe he's thinking that this is all overly precautionary measures and they maybe didn't understand that this is serious. Like you have to have that on or your plane is not going to read correctly.
1: Well, here's the thing. It's called the de-icer and he knew that because he called it out. Also, you have people, including uh, three try- children I'm on I'm trying here. to
0: fathom because it, it makes yeah, no sense at all. I know. But I'm trying to fathom why. He, I think he was just cocky. He said, I can do this. We we don't maybe need to do maybe this he shit. was just not even paying attention. Engine anti-ice, off, whatever. Like he's just not like, like just reading off like the stuff yeah. and not paying. Yeah. Like he might be reading the panel that says it's off. And not even gauging that okay, wait, that's that's a big deal that it's off.
1: I mean, imagine doing something eighty eight thousand hours worth of eighty three hundred. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. So
0: total flight hours. That's you become a fucking drone and you become a robot after a while, yeah. but he's definitely not having a great day and definitely never realized it until yeah. like that last part.
1: Well the captain should have spoke up like the more. The first officer you mean? First officer, yeah, yeah. sorry. First officer should Pettit should have spoke up more because Exactly. He that's, knew what the f- he knew something was wrong.
0: And that's the other side. So let's let's move over to the first <clears throat> officer cuz I mean there, there's the you have basically captain overconfident overconfident and first officer underconfident. Yep. It would have been great if you just had one confident person yeah. in the cockpit. This would have all been fine.
1: Yeah. Wait, unfortunately the overconfident guy was also a fucking moron and refused to do checks on his airplanes over and over again. The other guy was too much of a Bitch to speak up, and was actually uh, Air Force. He was a former F-15. Air Force
0: F-15 fighter pilot. Yeah, You'd think like a guy on, like man. that. I mean, but that's another thing that just it doesn't make any sense. I guess in you think he would he would be willing to speak up. Well, especially in the mil-
1: military and like the protocol of like flying. The captain's the captain. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? But then when you know you're about to fucking die. But like, you, not
0: when you're a fighter jet pilot. When you're a fighter jet pilot. I mean, it's just you. I guess that's true. Yeah. So but you're, still to, I would think you'd you still have to speak up. You know, you think of like uh, a you think of Top Gun. You think of those guys. They're not going to be afraid to tell some shit stick, fucking thirty four year old passenger airline pilot what's what. Yeah, but apparently but he wasn't I guess like this that. guy didn't have the right <laughs> stuff. Yeah, he wasn't like that. I guess. No, he was no Iceman. He's like, uh do whatever you <laughs> want. He, well, he was an Iceman at the end, but he's like, oh, we're not going fast enough. Mm. Yeah. Oh well, I guess we'll mm. just die <laughs> you know you're right you're right <laughs> yes it is 120 <laughs> like, that's what i mean it's the problem of like over where you you let your equipment override uh your plane's equipment override your own judgment you think well, well i like th- i can tell these engines are not producing enough thrust but hey the the yeah. panel says that's that it true. is
1: they were at 1.7 thrust. They needed to be at 2.04 to take off. Right. So, mm, I and I guess in plane thrust, and again, that's a, that, quite Again, a
0: that wouldn't have happened if the engine anti-ice had been turned on. Yeah.
1: That's the theme of the fucking show. If you would have just turned the anti-ice on, baby, you would have been flying. I you might have been retired in Florida now, baby boy, but you're not. And you took people with you, and that's not cool. Hey, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, Be careful out there and don't find yourself in your own macabreality.